When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. I'm Conrad Toll, and joining us, as always, Eric Patino. We are going to be discussing today one of our unusual um, topics, I suppose. It's not our regular conspiracies today. I do have a few conspiracy theories, but mostly we're going to be discussing the history of Alexander the Great. Yes. So today's a history lesson. <laughs> a few speculations on what the history would have been like if just a few things have been different. And then mm, maybe I have a few theories. I don't know if you came up with any of these, but did anything strike you as odd when you're studying the history of Alexander, Eric? I mean, a lot of things strike me odd. So <laughs> do you do you smell any foul play anywhere? Any twistings of legends and that sort of thing? Hiding of course. The truth? Of course. So. Alexander's a, a very amazing, unusual, crazy character. Mm-hmm. Where does one even begin when you're talking about him? Do you, do you do we start chronologically, or you know, do we do a? a, a I got it. I got it. I got it. So I guess the date would be twenty uh, three hundred and twenty eight BC. Alexander the Great has conquered all of Persia, all of Egypt. Large portions of the uh, Asia, um, what do you call that? Uh, the Asia, Asia Minor. And oh, um, has established a, has established a, one of the greatest empires the world has seen, and mm-hmm. most certainly the, the most uh, ambitious empire as of the, that sure. date. So I would say he's cr- crushed all of his enemies, and he has uh, never once lost a single battle. Mm-hmm. Has won every victory in overwhelming, um, clear, decisive victories. He almost always came out for the better of casualties and all of this. Uh, uh, by all the metrics, he almost never came off worse than anyone else. Uh, only a few battles where he maybe lost more men than the uh, than the the other side, but he always won. Mm-hmm. So you got to ask yourself, what exactly? got a man to this amount of greatness was it the fact that he was born in a massive empire with large resources and a powerful army or was it perhaps the fact that he was wealthy and was able to buy his way to the top or was he some sort of a charming well he was very charming diplomat who was able to make massive allies uh uh, beneficial to his cause and win through the strength of others or was he just 
one of the biggest, best knockdown drag out <laughs> military leaders of all time. I suppose today we will be unraveling the history of Alexander the Great. There, how that for a start? That was really good. <laughs> I I would I wouldn't say he bought his way to the top. No, no, no. I was saying like, what are the what are the speculations? Different... Sure. Yeah, yeah. I was like, how did this all come to be? And then I, you know, named a few different ways that he definitely did not come to power. <laughs> he did not come through diplomatic um, ties. He did not use money, and he did not start from a position mm-hmm. of a massive power. He had to take that he, power. He started from about as scratch as you can get. I mean, he was the son of a noble, which I, you know, he wasn't like a Joan of Arc starting from technically. What's the name for it? There's, there was another name for it. He, he wasn't a bastard, but it was something pretty close to a bastard because he wasn't uh, a illegitimate. full... Illegitimate. Yeah, he wasn't yeah, a he, full Macedonian. And when his father left his mother, Olympia, and married another woman and had a child with her, that, that kid would have been uh, the the, uh, the next heir or the next right. king uh, in line. Right. And, um, um, I think it was at Ale- Alexander the Great's father, Philip II, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, he had at least eight wives, <laughs> and I think Alexander the the Great was his father's uh, fourth. Alexander the Great's mother's mother was Alexander the Great's father's fourth wife, I believe. Yeah, yeah, she was right dab uh, in the middle. <laughs> which uh, I think that she was probably one of she Philip was the Great's biggest undoings. She was um a weird person in general. Like, I don't know how much you read into her. A, a little bit, but it, it's just like the more that you learn about her, you're like, oh, oh, wow, that's a can of worms right there. Let me study that a little. Oh, there's four more cans of worms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it would be, I would think the if, if you were to try and make, make her uh, equivalent in modern day pop culture, she would be a crazy ex. But she wasn't just your regular old crazy ex. Because, yeah, she was a regular crazy ex. But she was also a crazy mom who taught her son that he was a god. Yeah. And that he was, his actual father was not his real father. And she was also, on top of all of that, just not straight up crazy. She was kind of murderous. She Very uh, murderous, actually. <laughs> and then not on top of that, was she crazy? psychotic, murderous. She was also extremely cunning at the same time. So she was cr- cunning, insane, uh, extremely passionate. Yeah, she was quite the handful and a half. And I don't know what Philip was thinking when he's like, you know what? I've got four wives and this last one's as crazy as I'll get out. Let me get another four. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He, he uh... I don't know what what it what it's about with these old school kings and and rulers that just have tons of wives or just partners in general. It must have just been the lifestyle back then. That just must have been the norm. Yeah, I think so. But I think at some point, you, you, Philip should have realized that boy, he needed to do something about that wife. Yeah, but he didn't, and he well, died young. He did cast her out <laughs> of his kingdom at one point, along with Alexander, and yeah. but but he he welcomed Alexander back uh, 
shortly after that so but not the mother <laughs> which was which i think i don't know more fuel to the flames for her yeah so she had like i said a, a lot of weird things there was stories of her sleeping with bed in snakes and there was even a story from king philip ii where he came into the bedroom and found his wife olympia completely nude in bed with one huge giant snake and uh, apparently still still had an appetite for something that night. And um, Olympia, I think you were alluding to this earlier, Olympia had suggested that Zeus had came to her in a form of, what was it, a goat? Dog? Something with four legs. And um, impregnated her, and that, and that um, a- a- Alexander the Great was, was a son of Zeus. But I think the the family history for both sides is actually pretty great. I don't know if you know this, but so since we're we're talking about Olympia, Olympia has stated multiple times that she's uh, directly related to Achilles. And on oh, yeah, I know that. Yep. And on uh, King Philip II side, uh, he is a direct descendant of Hercules. So interesting, interesting family and bloodline there on both sides of the family. So when you get two people like this, you know, a direct descendant of Hercules and, and you know, you got Olympia on the other side who has Achilles and, and has been visited by Zeus, let's just say, it, it just makes it seem like Alexander the Great was always meant to be great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he had this like predestined... um Amazing life waiting for him. Yeah, and he w- I uh, wholeheartedly accepted that and didn't... I don't, I don't think there was ever a time in Alexander's life that he ever doubted his capabilities. No, I, I don't think, think so like, either. Yep. I think he showed up to every battle going, <laughs> okay, today I am going to kick some butt. <laughs> and, and is it because of his confidence or cockiness did that give him the extra edge to actually win every battle, do you think? I think that... Uh, I mean, that it certainly skill, helped a little. I think uh, I think that it was like a, a, a very rapid cycle of his confidence built on his ability, but his ability built on its confidence. And so his ability was... Uh, it's really hard to tell which one was bigger, his, his, his ego, his confidence, or his... Or it's his ability to back up his ego and confidence because. <laughs> oh, his ego is definitely huge either way. Yeah, it's it's question of the the egg or the chicken. Which one came first? We don't know, <laughs> but we do know that Alexander uh, ha, had um, a lot of the both. Not not mm-hmm. eggs and chickens, which he probably <laughs> did, but he had a lot of. Uh, well, like he had a whole empire, a kingdom. I'm sure he had tons of chickens and eggs. <laughs> Yeah, but what I'm, what I'm sure yeah. I know what you're saying. But uh, before we to leave, give you an idea of his brilliance. Okay, mm-hmm. there was this city, uh, Tyre. Have you, have you heard of Tyre? Uh, the, well, maybe you've heard of the Phoenician mm-hmm. alphabet. Have yeah, you yeah, that that uh, sounds familiar. So the the Phoenician Empire was a Mediterranean. Um, coastal uh, island empire and it had many different capitals and in fact at one point it was uh several tribes of phoenicians 
and they had mm-hmm. multiple capitals, kind of like how the Greeks had z- several city-states, but they all called uh-huh. themselves Greeks and saw themselves as together. But they didn't have a capital, but they had many different heads of the different families. It's kind of what the Phoenicians were. At the time of Alexander the Great, though, one of the cities had risen far above the others, and that was the city of Tyre. Mm. And in fact, slightly before even the rise of the um, Persians, there was the Babylonians. The the Persians conquered the Babylonians. But uh, before the Babylonians even knew of the existence of the Persians, uh, they went up to fight uh, the Phoenicians along the Mediterranean coast mm-hmm. uh, in modern-day Syria. Mm-hmm. And the city of Tyre was laid siege by one of the greatest uh, people of the, the day, Nebuchadnezzar. And he tore down the walls of Tyre and invaded the city after, like I think it was a three-year siege. And the issue that he had was he never could conquer, he couldn't siege out the, the city because they had access to the, the coast and he couldn't attack them from the, from the ocean because the, their navy was too powerful. But because they constantly had re, uh, reinforcements and supplies coming in from the sea, he couldn't starve them out. And what they did is they actually, while it took him many years to destroy the the walls and break the break through the walls, they actually evacuated the the entire city out onto an island nearby and made that the new city of Tyre. <laughs> and they built a huge wall around that, and they built underwater. Um, Coastal defenses that would rip open the bottom of your ships if you didn't know, you know, the right path to get into the harbor. Uh, the the walls were um, uh, supposedly uh, over over fifty feet tall, and it stretched around the entire city, uh, the entire island, which was uh, over over two kilometers, uh, two kilometers um, in circumference, and it was over a mile. No, no, not half a mile offshore of the actual city itself. And Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do anything to that. And he he sacked what was left of the, the city, and he went home. Alexander the Great outdid Nebuchadnezzar. Because not only did he come across this and say, you know what, this right here is not good enough. I'm going to take that impregnable city out there on the ocean. He did it in less time than it took uh, Nebuchadnezzar to just take the regular city, and he took a much harder defense. What he did is he had his army army take the remains, the ruins of the city, and dump it into the ocean. And he filled up the ocean out to the island there. He built a land walkway over a mile, uh, no, half a mile into the ocean. Wow. Then they scraped the dirt off of the the ground and they poured that over the rubble to make it smooth so Alexander's chariots could roll right up to the city. And then, um, let's see, how I forget exactly how he, he broke through the, the wall. Um, I, I think, I don't, I don't think they climbed over it. Um, I think he actually uh, used a, a combination of... Um, I think what he did. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because he used both battering rams and a navy. That's right. Mm-hmm. He, he he defeated their navy in their own home waters, in their own um, barriers, their their underwater uh, water traps. He sailed up, landed on this walkway that he had built um, 
up to the city, instead of pushing battering rams up to the city where they could be fired upon and be set on fire, he sailed them up on ships and dropped the battering rams off of the ship Mm-hmm. onto the, the walkway, uh, right up against the wall where they couldn't uh, directly attack the, the battering ramps, and then he tore down the wall the walls, and then he totally destroyed the city of Tyre. Like, he made it go, okay, if you made me dig a, uh, <laughs> a road all the way out across the ocean, and put my full military genius uh, out to the um, out to the, the city here, I'm gonna make you pay for every step so the the entire city was slaughtered or sold into slavery the buildings were burnt down uh, and it was left in entire ruins there was nothing left by the time he was done and to this day no one has ever built anything on the edge of this uh of modern day um this because it, it, it turned it from an island into a peninsula so this this peninsula out right there, where you can find the city of Tyre today. The old part, the uh, the Nebuchadnezzar tore down, still is there. Uh-huh. But the island that Alexander burnt down has never, ever once been repopulated. Wow, it's insane. That is kind of the just an idea of the genius of Alexander the Great. <sighs> and, and so to get back into like the, the mindset of Alexander, like his ego shows up and he's like, you know what? Was it his brilliance or was it the idea that he had to outdo Nebuchadnezzar? Which one of them is the, the principal factor for him undertaking this massive undergoing and succeeding, mm-hmm. defeating probably the most impregnable siege of all of history? Sure. Anyway, so... <laughs> Which came first, the confidence or, or the skill? <sighs> I kind of think that they worked in tandem and they built each other up. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has a skill to back up his ego. No doubt about that. And and to put this all into consideration, another thing to put into consideration, Alexander's losses were about 400 men. That's the it? City, yeah. That's insanely good. Yes. That is not only insanely good, that is that is impossible. Almost impossible. Oh. He defeated... Because if you think about it, most sieges, when the attacker overwhelms a city wall, generally the attacker sustains more casualties than the defenders. Sure. I mean, Initially. The Alamo. Yeah, no, no, no. In total, almost always the um, the defenders will have less casualties. Like, if you don't count the civilians, like, if you count the civilians, mm-hmm. then it, then it's different. But if you don't... If you just count, like, the, the soldier on soldier... Almost always, the defender will have um, lower casualties than the attacker. Not only was that not the case in Alexander the Great, mm-hmm. but that was um, totally wrong. The 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 uh, what do you call a citizen of Tyre? Do you call that Tyrians? <laughs> Tyrians? The Tyrians. I suppose. Uh, <laughs> Their casualties was well into the thousands, and Alexander's was only 400. And he had to overcome two sets of walls, because after he sure. reached the first wall, there was interior walls, and there was, a, there was a naval battle. There was He had like three different fights that he was battling uphill, across the water, amphibious, landings, all of that taken into consideration. Only 400 losses. It's crazy. It's, it's insane. Did he still have his beloved horse with him at that time? Yes. Yeah. So that's an, another crazy thing. Uh, do you do you know the story of how he got his horse? Yeah. So his dad, 
had um a well-known uh horse seller uh come by come by around uh during one of his exhibition matches or something like that i can't remember what the official uh event was but uh there was an official event and he had that uh famous horse uh seller or breeder I suppose it was a breeder right uh i mean they probably be one a breeder. saying back in the day right. a horse seller would probably also breed their horses it's right. not like they had invented the idea of splitting up different <laughs> ventures where you'd have uh the manufacturer and the reseller <laughs> <laughs> well you never know but anyways um yeah they had this uh black stallion for sale that's uh one of uh, king philip ii's uh best trainer best horse trainers couldn't even mount and uh, Alexander saw that and was like, hey, you know, if I can tame him, then you're going to buy him for me because I, I really want a horse or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, if he didn't tame the horse, he would have to buy the horse or something like or he would he he would. I think it was that he bought the horse to start with and that if he didn't tame the horse, he would have to return the horse. And but yet not get his money back. Right. Some, something like win, that. And his father would have to reimburse him, I think. Mm. So what Alexander did was blocked the horse's shadow because he saw that he was the horse was getting scared by the shadow. Like kind of, I don't know, like a weird PTSD that this horse had. <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it, it's um, I think the idea was the horse was frightened of everything mm. Uh and so they say, you know, you know, frightened of its own shadow, and that, yeah, it, it was scared of absolute everything. Right. So what he it was did a skittish he, horse. Yeah. So he made a way to blind the horse, so that way it couldn't see anything and had to rely on Alexander. I, I, I you know, I, I read that story a long time ago, and you know, thinking about it now, and knowing how some people just have a way with animals, like they can just. They can walk up to a tiger if they want to and pet it and, you know, the tiger won't react in a vicious way. Some people are like that. And I think maybe Alexander was kind of like that and that's why he kind of was able to tame a horse. And that horse uh, stayed with him his entire, um, his in, almost his entire... Ten-year uh, campaign. Initial assault. Because if you divide Alexander's life up into three parts, there's like um, his, his pre... Um, before he became king of Greece, his mm-hmm. adolescence and his upbringing. And then if you have um, the second section where he has it's the new ruler and the conqueror that goes out and he completes all of his initial dreams and becomes the conqueror that everyone expected him to become. Mm-hmm. And then you have the last third of his life where he goes even further beyond that and he starts conquering areas far beyond what everyone ever imagined that he would do. And he started doing, uh, he started turning a more inward uh, on his empire and building up his empire and building cities and monuments and starting to do internal um, construction and going from just beyond a conqueror into a ruler Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to divide up his, um, his life into those three thirds, uh, his, his life, uh, his, his horse stayed with him all the way up until the point where he became the immense amount of, um, up to this, the, the, he, his horse died right before he got into that, that last segment of his life. There are some legends that his horse actually stayed with him all the way through his life and died the same hour that Alexander did. But that one's generally considered a legend that was later. That's, that sounds like a fanciful tale. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, most people 
because that that one's known as to be a legend because Alexander built a city after his horse, named after his horse. He built a city and then named it after his horse. Mm -hmm. And that was after his horse's death. So it's kind of known that his horse didn't live that long. But I mean, he basically lasted as long as Alexander did. Uh, He he died shortly after his horse died. So, yeah. So, I mean, there's no need for... I mean, who is who is the true ruler here? <laughs> <laughs> that horse. Um, Which uh, is... is uh, I always find it difficult yeah. remembering it's how funny. to say his name, but I think it's Brucephalus. Oh. Brucephalus? Yeah, I think that's how you say it, Brucephalus. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that this horse that was scared of everything was the horse that he would ride into battle on in all of his greatest victories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... And the name of uh, the horse, is, its name means ox head, right. which um, is because the horse had a really big, wide head. <laughs> Maybe that's why he was scared of everything. <laughs> My shadow doesn't look right. Look how big his head is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look at that horse. He has a tiny head. But um, yeah, it's interesting how how he, I don't know, befriended uh, an animal like that and it, it lasted nearly his whole life kind of interesting well, i mean horses horses generally live to be 30 or well so. yeah but the way he carried on about this horse was like it was a gift from zeus himself <laughs> so i well, don't know I mean, he did actually think that his horse was a, a a god and made people worship it it's, it's not pegasus it wasn't that level of greatness but well, and it brings us to an, another unusual factor about alexander the great he because his military prowess Never being beat, never outmatched was, uh, as we've said many times, was just as matched as much of his confidence and pride and self uh, belief in his own greatness. He was quite this arrogant man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a, a very unusual uh, short temper, a very... <laughs> you uh, think? <laughs> yeah. He was also extremely paranoid of his own allies. He was, I don't think, the best uh, judge of character. He had a lot of bad um, rulers that he would appoint, uh, and then later those they would turn against him, uh, which I think probably created his paranoia. And then that loud sure. his paranoia turned him against people who were actually on his side. And people were very afraid of Alexander. Um, the, his mood was unpredictable. He would have many different of his allies executed for no reason. Uh, once he had conquered many lands and appointed many governors over them, and he would he if he would turn on them in an instant. If if something if he got the wrong report of them, but then there would be others that he wouldn't turn on at all. It was there was almost no rhyme or reason to his madness. <laughs> right. And uh, it it was not at all. It was very counterproductive to his empire building schemes. Well, when you drag men right across an entire Persian empire. And you just keep marching on to the next, uh, the, ne- <laughs> the next country. You're going to tend to, uh, lose most of your friends, right? Like, they're going to start talking behind your back. They're going to be like, well. Not necessarily. I mean, if you're Genghis Khan. I think one of the main differences between. Alexander Genghis was Khan, great, but he's no Genghis Khan. I think, I think the main difference between them, uh, Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan, was Genghis Khan's greatest 
um, one of his greatest assets, his family, was one of Alexander's greatest weaknesses. Uh, Alexander sure. did not um, did not trust a lot of his own family, and when he came to power, his mother actually went ahead and executed several members of the family who posed a threat to Alexander's uh, rule. Yes. Which you contrast that to Alexander, uh, not Alexander, Genghis Khan. And you look at his family and how (laughs) Genghis Khan was able to utilize all of his uh, sons and all of his his wives, all of his wives. Yeah, he could probably make an army with just his wives. Um. And, and how he was able to win the loyalty of so many around him and the generals that he would appoint upon merit, unlike Alexander, who would <laughs> appoint them based on other things. And, and, and Ale- uh, Genghis Khan was very predictable. If you worked for Alexander, uh, for Genghis Khan and you did right by him, you you're going to be all right. You didn't have anything to worry about. Yeah, you were going to be all right. If you, if, but if you worked for Alexander the Great, you know, somebody could make up a lie about you and your head would be rolling on the ground before you could blink twice. Oh, so, there was there was that one it, incident it, it, where he was drinking with a friend of his and his friend was completely drunk, saying all these yeah. all these things that Alexander did not like hearing. But keep in yeah, mind they were both drunk. Alexander. Yeah. They were both really drunk, but Alexander didn't care. He he killed him right then and there. Yeah, Alexander was well known for his parties. <laughs> he yes. drank a lot. It, yeah. And the <laughs> there's a story that Alexander the Great um, was marching through a desert, um, uh, through uh, Asia Minor, chasing Darius uh, after he had defeated Darius the first time and was pursuing uh, him he mm-hmm. they were crossing over a desert and they were running out of water and alexander um told them instead of turning back to drink wine <laughs> to, to break open the victory casks and drink the wine then to stop <laughs> marching forward so the entire army got extremely drunk right right i, I suppose <laughs> it was a good thing because uh, i don't know i was gonna say i guess it was I guess a good thing because King Darius was uh, ultimately um, stopped and killed by his own people. So Alexander didn't have to do anything. I, I think, yeah, I mean, Darius. Um, so when Darius went to war with Alexander, it, it's quite a, quite a crazy thing. The Persians invaded Greece like three times before Alexander uh, invaded Persia. And, you know, there's the, the famous story of the, the Spartans. Sure. In the 300s that turned back, well, it didn't turn back, but delayed the uh, Persian advance until the rest of Greece could uh, uh, assemble and defeat them at the Battle of Marathon. Um, then there was um, the invasion that Philip II turned back um, with the help of Alexander. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, another uh, invasion that was coming to Greece, but Alexander marched out and defeated them in modern day uh, Turkey. Mm, I see. And then he continued from there, marching uh, into Persia. He said, guys, was nuts. Uh, huh? The geez, that guy was nuts. Darius? No, Alexander. <laughs> I think Darius was kind of crazy. After, uh, before Darius marched out to fight him, they sent a, um, a, a peace treaty to Alexander and it was something, an exorbitant amount of money. And it was also a succession of, uh, land as well. And it went to one of Alexander's generals 
and uh, <laughs> uh, the general turned it down without even sending it to Alexander the Great. And he wrote back and saying, I would accept if I was Alexander the Great, but I am not. <laughs> Mm -hmm. and, he sent it, and he sent it back. And they resend the tribute again to Alexander's general and saying, if I was Alexander's general, and they, they used his actual name, I would accept it. <laughs> and and uh, I don't know, I thought it was kind of funny that they're like, oh, they're the, at, they, they even stopped trying to make peace with Alexander. And at a point, they were just trying to bribe his guard, his general. <laughs> oh, that wasn't going to work out, was it? Uh, it did not work out because um, they marched on and they met Darius um, uh, in a battle. And Darius's uh, army formation was not um, with uh, an ancient formation. Alexander invented uh, what we would consider uh, kind of a modern um a modern formation that the, even up until the age of Napole Napoleon, they mod they um they still in a sense modeled it after Alexander's formation, his uh, mm. um phalanx. Sure. And, and that was you have your infantry in the middle forming a, a solid block, and then you have your heavy troops like your cavalry and right. your specials your special um most powerful soldiers on on the flanks. Uh, up until that point, what the the um, what the Persians were doing is they would put all of their greatest soldiers in the front, in the center, in this long column. They'd have their sure. their immortals, their uh, their elite uh, um, javelin javelin. What, not not skirmishers, but. Uh, I forget the name of the, that. It wasn't the, so. The Persians had a few different um, famous troops. There was their immortal, a thousand, which was the best of the army, and it was called the immortal a thousand because whenever one of them was slain in battle, somebody else would come in and take their place. Right. Then there was another group which were they they had javelins, but they also had um, scimitars. Uh, I forget hmm. exactly what they were, but they they were kind of uh, skirmishers where they would they harry the enemy till they got in range, and then they um, they would use their sabers. And then there was the heavy uh, Persian cavalry, I see. which I think had chariots and um, uh, horsebacks uh, soldiers, and sometimes elephants. And they would take this all of mm -hmm. the elite soldiers and they put them in the front, dead center, in this big, wide co um, column, I guess. And then they would put all of the infantry, just like the regular, the, the rest of the, the no bunnies, I guess, <laughs> directly behind them. As the reserve. less skilled. Yeah, and so you would see it as like um, a rectangle being followed by a square. And the rectangle in front, that would extend the entire length of the square... Uh, would be the elite soldiers and then the ones behind it would be the regular. And the idea would be the best soldiers would go up first, they would fight, and when they tired, they would fall back and the rest of the soldiers would clear up. But well, the idea was that the, you know, the heavy soldiers would decide the fate of the battle and then the, the rest of the cleanup would be done by... Which is by the, the finishing it up. Alexander instead put his regular soldiers in the center. Well, hold it right there, Conrad. We are way past our break time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, you're fine. You're fine. I, I, I like the passion. But uh, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we come back, we will uh, finish up the story of Alexander the Great. And we're back from the break. So we're going to go ahead and continue with the uh, Alexander the Greats. Uh, 
Conrad just described the, the Persian Empire, I guess. Uh, f- what do you call that? Yeah, but their formation, their outdated formation. Yeah, I actually don't know what the name of that formation is. Uh, but I, I I looked it up. It was a hundred cavalry. Uh, no, not a hundred cavalry. A thousand cavalry. <laughs> I was going to say a hundred cavalry. Um, a thousand immortals and a thousand mercenaries is what it was. That was the... Um, so I do believe Alexander had the larger army, right? No. Yeah, he had a smaller army. Really? Uh, at the at the battle that I'm talking about, which is the Battle of Issus, uh, the most famous of Alexander's battle, even though it wasn't his hardest, it was like, you know, the battle that um, sure that everyone expected Alexander to to lose. the The first uh, great battle against the Persians was uh, Darius was not present. Um, mm. Oh, actually, I was off by a measure of. Um, 10, I guess it's a a 10,000 cavalry, 10,000 immortals and 10,000 mercenaries. That's that's Uh, quite a difference. (laughs) uh, Yeah. So it's um, the, the numbers uh, rain. So they put uh, Alexander's total forces with about 4,000, 40,000 soldiers. Darius's total soldiers was somewhere between uh, 60,000 to that would be 120,000. So somewhere between uh, 50% larger to 300% larger than Alexander's force. Jeez, that's uh, quite a difference. Um, so even though that um, uh, the Persian army was larger, um, uh, what well, well, they were, you know, like I described, the the large block in the back and the the line of heavy soldiers in front of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander put his regular forces, his regular uh, Greek phalanxes, in the center. Um, about twenty thousand uh, heavy infantry. He put them in the center, and then he had his cavalry of about six thousand uh, on the side, the flanks. Mm-hmm. So even though he had a smaller army, its front face uh, was actually wider than that of the Persians. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, he engaged the, the, the Persian heavy infantry with his phalanx. And due to the um, nature of b- the battling of the day and the structure of the phalanx, it was a longer fighting. You know, it was uh, it took... Um, it would it'd take a, a long time to wear down a phalanx. So what Alexander did is then he flanked around the, the front of their um, his heavy troops, and he attacked them on the sides with their, his um, with his cavalry. Mm-hmm. And so he surrounded the smaller heavy uh, elite troops of the Persians and fought them separately than he did the large mass of infantry behind. Mm. And uh, the battle went on for a bit because it wasn't just like it, it was um, a complete defeat of the front bar. There was a, a bit of there was quite a bit of in between that happened where Alexander would come in with his cavalry, do a charge, go from attacking the, the mercenaries to attacking the cavalry to attacking uh, the Persian immortals and, and switching around. And. After a bit, he was able to entangle uh, enough of the 
mercenaries and whatnot, that he knew that they would not be able to break away from combat from the rest of mm-hmm. his soldiers. And it was in such a way that he knew that he could leave the rest of his army and that everything would be dealt with that he was leaving. And he took his 5,000 cavalry and he charged the rest of the, um, the rest of the Persian, um, infantry. And <laughs> because his, the, the cavalry, the, the Persian infantry were, they were not well-trained and they didn't have spears. There's sure. not a lot that they could do against a heavy cavalry charge. It was a slaughter, even though he only had 5,000 cavalry going up against a force of 30 to 80,000 infantry. <laughs> it wow. was a complete rout. And Sounds it was like a massacre. Painting. It was. Um, the, the, the Greek uh, cavalry charge um, was almost invulnerable to anything that the infantry could do to them. Um, well, it was. There's this famous painting of Alexander on a horse charging through tons of Persians and stomping and crushing them, and then on, that's on the left side of the. Of the I'm picture. pretty sure right I've seen that. Pretty sure I've seen you that. See, you can see Darius turning and running, <laughs> and it's it's the probably the one of the most famous uh, charges uh, of all time. <laughs> Well, his army was known to be very well trained. Can you have... And it was like with a mostly united Greece that he had all these soldiers from. Can you imagine if he also had Spartans there with him? I believe he did, actually. I think think he had... um, That his father, Philip II, had conquered all of Greece. Uh, Well, the history that I read... Well, the... um, when I was doing the research and I was reading up on uh, King Philip II when he was um, tr- trying to mm-hmm. control all of Greece and, and attacking, what was it, Thieves, Thieves and Athens? Uh, Thebes and Athens. Thebes, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, that that uh, he was not able to get Sparta. So I don't know if Alexander later got Sparta. Uh, I, I know that he at least later got the Spartans. I don't know if it was that they saw him marching off and they're like, oh gosh. This man is about to go get riches and glory and gold. I'm going to follow. Or if he sounds very Spartan, but I do know that they, they later joined him. I see. In fact, um, the mercenaries, uh, that, uh, Darius had brought to the battle of Issus, um, surrendered and switched sides and and surrendered to the Spartan King, uh, at Aegis the third, um, that was there with Alexander at the time. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, didn't they have... Um, didn't the Persian Empire had Greek soldiers on their sides, like hired mercenaries? Um, I sometimes, believe they did. I believe but, they did, because you know. I remember hearing that after one of the, after the first battle against the Persian Empire, like when he initially uh, started conquering it, that mm-hmm. uh, he, he surrounded the traitorous Greeks, as he called them. And Quite interesting. <clears throat> Uh, okay. Um, so it, it's, so, um, Darius was in the, during the battle was among his infantry, uh, the big block that I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm guessing that for some reason, Alexander was able to tell where he was because when he did the charge, he didn't just charge straight into the, um, the block 
uh, going for you know just the the heart of it. He went for uh, the southern section of the block where he knew that Darius was. So I'm guessing he could tell somehow, some way, flags or I don't know, because he went straight for the 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 king's bodyguard. And he was slaughtering the bodyguard mm. when Darius fled through the ranks of the soldiers. And when they the soldiers saw Darius running on foot through, you know, his own uh, ranks of soldiers trying to escape the battle, um, that caused a lot of his soldiers to start breaking and routing. Because, you know, they're standing, you see... The, the Greeks charging, and then you see, you know, your own king pushing past you going, ah, out of the way, out of the way, I'm running. <laughs> it, it doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. No, probably not. <laughs> um, but he ran away quite a few times. Yeah, no, after that, Alexander char- uh, chased him, and uh, he would, uh, Darius would run from one army to the next, and like, he would run to an army, turn to try and face Alexander and his army would get crushed and then he'd run away again and he'd run yeah. to the next army and he he ran through different Persian um, uh, cities and all of that going from sure. falling further and further into his own kingdom and they, he would get to a, a precinct or whatnot and call upon their army and then their army would be defeated and he'd run to the next group. You know, it sounded like a sore loser. And the funny thing is, he had to, he, when he was defeated at the Battle of Ithith, he had brought his family to the battlefield, you know, along with, uh, and he left them in the camp when they marched mm-hmm. out. And when he fled the battle, he didn't go back to the camp. And Alexander actually captured uh, Darius's wife and children there mm-hmm. at that battle. Wasn't wasn't Darius's mother ashamed of him and legally adopted Alexander? I think I read that. Yes. So that's <laughs> another thing is Alexander had quite the interesting relationship with the uh, Persians. He loved the Persians. Uh, he loved the citizens. The citizens, not not the armies or anything like that. But he loved uh, the no, Persian he even, citizens. He even loved um, the soldiers too. He loved he. He, um, at one point, even left his own soldiers, his own Greek army, to command a Persian army. But the Greeks hated that absolutely so much. Yeah, they thought he betrayed them. Yeah. Um, Which, with with a common thing, is Alexander loved the the Persians. He loved their culture. He loved their buildings. He loved their architecture. he He loved everything about them, pretty much. And he wanted to almost become Persian. He wanted to mix Persian and Greek together. Well, he started wearing their clothes, and I believe yeah. he 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 got a Persian wife. Yeah, yeah. And he he uh, changed the structure of his own uh, Persian, um, uh, his own Greek army, and he started calling them by Persian, like instead of calling them generals and that sort of thing, he started calling them by uh, Persian. Um, designations you know terminology uh, yeah he called them uh i think sastraps sastraps or something like that uh which was the 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 persian name for like governor and he (laughs) and after he had conquered persia and the persians i think easily took the fact that they believed alexander when he said i am a deity (laughs) <laughs> You're like, oh, of course this guy's a deity. He rides into town. He conquers everything. He never loses a battle. 
He's insane. He parties a lot. This guy's obviously a crazy god. Demigod. And, um, he was never Alexander, going back to Greece. Alexander writes back to Greece and he says, you know, I'm a god, this sort of thing. Build me a temple and all of that. And one of the, and like the citizens in Greece were constantly outraged and shocked by Alexander's behavior because they hated the Persians. They had lived mm-hmm. in fear of the Persians for years. And then, you know, they're, they're cheering Alexander to go off and crush the Persians. And then he goes there and he does what they wanted him to. But then he starts becoming very Persian himself, adopting Persian ways and having the Persians also adopt certain uh, manner manneristics of the Greeks. And there was there was times where he would try to force Persian uh, customs onto the, the Greeks and the Greeks just wouldn't have it. And so he would drop those Persian customs, but the Persian customs that he could get get them to adopt, they would. Mm-hmm. Quite an interesting thing. And the, the same thing happened in um, Egypt, because when uh, Alexander went to Egypt and conquered it, uh, one of the um, when he uh, when he got uh, to the the Egyptian capital, uh, the one of the priests there went and named him Pharaoh. <laughs> now the pharaohs of Egypt are all gods to the Egyptians. The Egyptians of course. believe that their god, that their rulers and the line of rulers was um, lineage to to the um, to the Egyptians. And I think that they also believe that like the the spirits of gods would come and um, uh, kind of like a, a collective life where like the, all the spirits of past pharaohs would go and uh, counsel and advise uh, the, somebody once they became pharaoh. So the idea is once somebody became pharaoh, they became, you know, all of the pharaohs before them as well. And so when interesting Alexander was named pharaoh and they all start worshiping him as a god and Egypt, it just goes straight to Alexander's head. <laughs> he's like, yeah, of course I'm a god. And then he writes back to uh, Greece and he's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a god, you know, build me a tower and whatnot. And everybody's like, what on earth? That kid that we sent out, you know, 10 years ago is writing back saying he's a god. Uh, excuse me, we raised that kid. He's no god. <laughs> and uh, I think it was the... Um, uh, one of the, the governors of, I think it was Thebes, said something along the lines of, he wants to be a god, so let him be a god, or something like that. <laughs> Interesting. And, and it's kind of the thing of, like, he throws his hands up and be like, whatever. He says he's a god, just just entertain him. It doesn't, well, at this point, like, what are we going to do? Um, because, remember, the Greeks had just been conquered uh, all the city-states in, had been unified by Philip II. Mm-hmm. Alexander's father had conquered them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Alexander himself had put down several revolts in the name of his father. And they all remember Alexander's um, viciousness. So if, at that point, he's just like, whatever. He's insane. He's crazy. Just, Just go with it, guys. It's not worth it. I want. I like to keep my head on its shoulders where where it's supposed to be. <laughs> right. So, really quick before we run out of time, tell me your theories. I want to hear these theories of yours. So, there's a a, a I w- right before Alexander died, 
he had um, named Kratos, uh, the fellow, one of his generals. Um, he was the fellow that Alexander had just put in charge of being governor of Greece. And he was one of his generals while he was um, it conquering. And then he was sent back to Greece with uh, several of the soldiers that had left Greece with Alexander originally. And on his deathbed, when he, they knew, um, when he knew that he was going to die, they asked him, who is in next in command? And Alexander sure. said, may the seat go to Ithos, Kreos, uh, Kreos or something like that, which in Greece meant to the strongest. Okay. And there's a theory that actually he said, may the power go to Kratos, who was in Greece at the time. And the man who was at his deathbed misunderstood or maybe intentionally misunderstood. Uh, and that way, uh, because, because after Alexander's death, there was uh, a, a struggle for power and there was tons of people who were vying for control. And it would, it would make sense that it would start even before Alexander's death, that they were all trying to get their um, foot in the door to become next in control of the entire empire, or to mm -hmm. them, the known world. Mm -hmm. To take the seat of an un, unhistorically large empire. Uh, you know, this it it's, would be the most prestigious seat anyone had ever considered before. And so the, the theory is that Kratos, the, the man that Alexander may have, the last person Alexander could have trusted, was named, but um, that was um, abandoned. There's another theory um, that surrounds Alexander's last orders. Mm -hmm. well, uh, at the time of his, his death, there was an order that Alexander had... Uh, said uh, to build 10,000 warships larger than any of the warships that had current that were currently in his navy. And he wanted them built in the Mediterranean Sea to go conquer Carthage. Um, and the, the entire myth, uh, Mediterranean, as far out as um, wow. Spain, which would include Sicily and what was currently forming as the Rome and all of that. Sure. And, uh, Carthage, which was, which would later become Rome's greatest, um, enemy. Uh, another one was he wanted to build six large temples. Uh, you, you know, the, the temple of Artemis, uh, mm -hmm. one of the seven wonders of the world. He wanted to build six of those. Jeez. One in Delos, one in, uh, Delphi, one in Do Dona, one in Macedonia, uh, and the one in Macedonia, he wanted to be the largest and he wanted it to be made to Zeus, uh, one in Athena and one in Amph Amphidus. <laughs> um, then he also wanted, um, to build more cities in Asia along the route to Europe. So to almost build a string of cities, uh, and make, uh, roads between them that would be similar to, you know, the Silk Road of China. It would be like that, but shorter from 
Persia to Greece, uh, almost a a road of cities, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in those cities, he, he he declared that it would be half Greek and half Persian, and that there would hmm. be uh, that they would be intermingling, and that that would be the beginning of um, the um, a permanent <clears throat> bonds between Persia and Greece, and building them into one nation. Interesting. Uh, an- he had five orders, and we've only gone through three of them. <laughs> Uh, the the fourth one would be that a city uh, would be built. Um, oh, that's another temple. And then the fifth order is that a tomb for his father Philip would be constructed, and it would be larger than the greatest pyramid in Egypt. He wanted to build a massive pyramid in Greece. Would have been cool. There is a theory that um, these plans were um, embellished a little bit to be too extraordinary um, by his generals. So that way that no one would ever try to complete them because maybe Alexander's goals were actually more modest and that they embellished them to make them larger. So that way nobody would want to follow his um, orders and they could do their own thing that they wanted to do. But uh, reading these, these actually don't seem like the sort of thing that Alexander would refrain from doing. This is like, I don't know, this seems like the sort of thing I'd imagine Alexander ordering, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you think about what Alexander did, he ordered the great lighthouse of, um, um, what do you call it? Um, the city that he built, Alexandra. Uh, Alexandria? Greatest, yeah. He told them to build the Library of Alexandria and the Lighthouse of Alexandria, considered two of the seven great wonders of the world. Hmm. And that was done in his lifetime. He ordered cities to have been built before that uh, in like the city he named his horse after. Uh, he had many different statues built all over his empire. He really did like the blending of different um, nations together, uh, of Persia and Greece together. And he was a conqueror. So the idea that he would be like, yeah, I'm going to go conquer Carthage and I'm going to build a massive pyramid and I'm going to build some temples and I'm going to build some cities. This is, this is on par for Alexander, I think. Yeah. But there are people who think, although, um, they, um, they, they, they think that they were trying to persuade the public to not go after these because they were too grandiose. Mm-hmm. But, to me, it just, uh, that doesn't seem like the case. Those were his last orders. And, and I kind of give you a glimpse of what life would have been like if Alexander had lived. There would be the massive pyramid of Alexander. There would, yeah. <laughs> there would be, um, there would probably have been a conquest of all of the Mediterranean. And there probably would be a lot more temples. And I think that he probably would have blended Persia and Greece a little better together. I don't know if he, if it was actually even possible to blend Persia and Greece, but I think if it could be done, Alexander would have given it his best shot. Though I don't know if Alexander could have done it as well as somebody like Genghis Khan, because he was constantly killing um, his generals and replacing them. Like, 
for example, when he conquered Persia, in order to make the Persians like him more, he kept uh, a large number of the king's consultants as high um, ministers uh, and in positions of power. And he actually didn't destroy the systems of power that they already had in place. He didn't actually uproot a lot of things. And the Greeks were very upset about that. So in order to appease the Greeks, he beheaded 50 of them. Uh, not the Greeks, of the per he beheaded Persians. 50 Persians to <laughs> appease the Greeks. <laughs> Um, which, and, and he was, so it's, it, it's just the way that Alexander had no problem with the Persians. He was like, yeah, I like these Persians. Oh, but in order to make things better for me, I'm going to kill 50 of you. And I have no problem with you guys. You're just going to kill 50 of you. That's insane. You know? So it, I think it's the things like that definitely hindered his ability to try and blend two nations together. But he, and you, I was thinking, well, you know, obviously he would have had revolts and maybe his empire would have fallen apart when he was living. And then I thought second about that. I'm like, nah, that wouldn't have happened because Alexander crushed like five revolts in Greek in, in Greece while his father was alive. And then once after his father died and the one that he crushed after his father died, he was doing he was he had split his army in two crushed the one in Greece at the same time he was fighting the Persians invading in Turkey. So I don't think there was any revolt that anyone could launch against him that would win. He was invincible on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. So I really don't think there was any revolt against him that could, could, could win. So I don't think it would fall apart in his lifetime, but I really don't think that he could have built anything cohesive that would have lasted after his death. Well, I mean, we'll never know now. Yeah, but it would have been interesting if he'd lived. There For would sure. be some mega pyramids because it, you know, as we were studying last time about the pyramids, it only took about twenty years to build the pyramids, as far as uh, they were concerned. And if you look at what Alexander did with you know ten his years army <laughs> and the amount of resources that he would able to be able to do it, it wouldn't even be too much to say that Alexander probably would have built one pyramid and say, you know what? I still am 40 because I can build a pyramid in double the time as the Egyptians because I have a ton more slaves because Alexander had a ton of slaves. Yeah. And, you know, as we were you know, discussing last time with the pyramids and the, the idea that the pyramids weren't built with slave labor, but were built with uh, harvesters in the interroom between, um, harvesting uh during the during the floods and all of that uh what do you call those the floods of the nile anyway if you consider <laughs> what they what they did in 20 years you know if estimates are true and it was 20 years and the amount of people sure. it would take alexander could have brought more people and they could have been there all year round so i think alexander probably could have built some pretty mega pyramids interesting interesting so there, there, there could be massive pyramids, huge Greek temples, maybe uh, it would be weird if Alexander lived his whole life because he would have <laughs> conquered probably all of the med. There were, he, that, those were his goals. Oh, also he wanted to circumnavigate um, and map all of Africa. Hmm. And he wanted to conquer um, Arabia. 
Really? Yeah. So that might have been possible because after he conquers, you know, the Med, sends a ship down around Africa, because they did not actually know if the Indian Ocean connected to the Mediterranean. Hmm. In fact, they may have not even known about the Strait of Gibraltar. So if Alexander sent a ship that sailed all the way down around Africa, came up to the Red Sea, where, um, you know, they knew about They're like, huh, does this connect to the Med, you think? Because, you know, they knew that the, Med- the Mediterranean was very big. And I don't know if they knew about the Atlantic Ocean. I really don't. Oh, that's a good question. Did they know about the Atlantic Ocean? But they knew that the knew about the Indian Ocean. They knew that the Red Sea connected into the uh, Indian Ocean, and the Indian Ocean was very big. And they knew that there was a nation on the other side of the Saharan, uh, not the Saharan, the um, Arabian Desert. So, <laughs> could you imagine if Alexander, some someone circumnavigates all uh, and maps? All of Africa comes back to Alexander and says, Hey, look at all this land for you to conquer. And he's conquered, you know, Carthage and Arabia and all of these things, built some mega pyramids. And he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to go conquer all of the sub Saharan Africa. That would Very have been interesting. interesting. Yeah. Because I don't think his ambition knew any bounds. Because he, the thing is, his ambitions got greater the more that he lived. Well, I mean, I don't think that not losing a battle will do that to you. <laughs> yeah. And he built the city of Alexandra, two of the seven great wonders of the world. He was going to build the pyramids, uh, more pyramids. I think that he probably by the time that, you know, if he conquered Carthage, built all of those things that he wanted to build, conquered Rome, Rome wasn't coming to bite him. At that point, he would be invincible practically he'd have so many resources to draw upon he would he he would definitely uh have it all go to his head and i think that he would want everything i think that his ambitions would grow even greater because if if you measure like his ambitions that he had when he left greece to start with he just wanted to conquer persia Mm -hmm. and then fast forward 10 years and he's conquered persia egypt tyre india all of these things. And then he has plans to conquer Carthage with a massive 1,000 ship navy. That would have been huge. And he didn't even just want it 1,000 ships. He wanted 1,000 ships larger than any ship that had yet been used. Well, not yet been used. Uh, there were ships that had been that big, but they were like the flagships. He wanted to build a 1,000 flagship-sized navy. It's insane. Insane. Well, I'm gonna have to end it there. Um, it's good stories, Conrad. I did not notice the time going by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I'm. I, I, I think, think I'm just noticing it because I'm conscious right now for doing other things and. Yeah. Yeah. Oh! 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 oh. One more thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know about the Gordian knot? Uh, does not ring a bell, no. There was this, uh, a, a knot that was considered impossible to tie. Oh, untie. yeah, yeah, I remember. Uh, there was and a, a legend, legend about it, yeah. And, and the legend was the person that would untie the knot would, um, be able to conquer all of Asia. He just cut right through it. <laughs> yeah, he walked up to it, pulled out his sword, and being like, wink, 
it doesn't necessarily say I have to untie it. It just says that it has to be loosened. And that lot knot is loose. Yeah. And there are some people who said that he didn't cut it. He actually pulled the post out of the ground, slipped the, the knot down the bottom of the post and off. And then once it was tied to anything, he was able to untie it that way. Mm. But I do like the, ah, guess what? I'm going to cut it. Like all these people are like, I shall be the conqueror of Asia. Let me try to untie this knot. Ah, I can't do it. And then the guy walks through like, no, no, no. If you want to be a conqueror, you use your sword. Yeah, he definitely did that. I There's a lot of weird things about Alexander the Great. Like when, um, when he was, uh, when he died and they wanted to preserve his body, he was completely covered in honey. Like they just. That doesn't work as a preservative. That's what they used. That's what they, that's what the Persians used. I should say, not the Greeks, the Persians. Well, that's not what the Egyptians used. No. <laughs> but, uh, interesting. Very good podcast, Conrad. Thank you so much for, uh, um, helming the show today. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I can't wait until we dive into the research for next week's topic, which you guys will find out soon enough. Yeah, um, back to conspiracies. It's going to be a hands on research for this one. Yeah, I've had uh, quite quite a problem with my research so far on this topic. I've had nothing but problems. But uh, <laughs> anyways, if you guys want to email us, maybe you have a topic you want us to cover. Maybe you just want to send us hate mail, because we appreciate hate mail. It's uh, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That's one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. Also, you can literally listen to us on 11 platforms. Pretty insane. Pretty insane. So, thank you so much for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies, and we'll catch you in the next episode.